0: Welcome everybody to another edition of the Baseball America Podcast. I'm your host, J.J. Cooper, alongside Will Lingo. If you are a uh, Facebook follower, you may be wondering where John is, because I actually posted a, hey, John and J.J. are doing a podcast, Well. By the time I got over here, John actually had to head off to, uh, to see Matt Harvey pitch for the first time this year. So I'm glad to pinch hit for John.
1: Well, thankfully, I'm sure, people get tired of hearing him all the time. Anyway, <laughs> he, he is the uh, fixture on the Baseball America podcast. He has to get in a certain amount of talking each day, so we're glad to uh, use that to facilitate better podcasts.
0: But and as we get started, we're coming from the Baseball America, the Marini Podcast Nook. Back here this time after John and Aaron recorded outside of the Nook last time. And I wanted to remind you that when it comes to buying a baseball mat, DeMarini just changed the game. Introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini before you buy, because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free. So get the season started right. Visit your nearest Demo House today. Locations and full details can be found at demarini.com backslash Demo House. And today we have put the Top 100 Prospects uh, issue to bed. Subscribers are, are getting it now. It's starting to hit the newsstands. We've posted the Top 100 on the website. We've also posted what we want to talk about today a little bit, the uh, the Dream Draft. Our, our second Dream Draft, I should say the Prospects Dream Draft, right. because we did a, a major league Dream Draft back in, I think, 2006. and Something like that, yeah. And and so, it, yeah. Uh, I went back and looked, I think, because we said it was, I think, set for a uh, six year span. So,
1: yeah, 2011 draft. I have somebody go back and go through the original Dream Draft, which was, I believe, the only rule for that one was draft anybody you want to who plays baseball. Mm-hmm. And uh, we should go back and have somebody calculate the win shares for each of those teams. That would be interesting because, to see. Because, uh, you know, there was, as you might expect, a lot of contention in the office at the time about who had the best team. And things obviously look a lot different in hindsight. So it would be interesting to actually uh, quantify who did the best in that draft.
0: So what we did this time is we said, okay, everyone in the office, pick a team. We're going to go 30 rounds. And the rule this time was draft to put together the best farm system you can with players that you would draft from the prospect handbook. So we had 902 players to choose from.
1: Right. We did limit it to uh, players in this year's Prospect Handbook, which is available at BaseballAmerica.com. We actually had a question from a staff member about whether he could draft a player who wasn't in the Prospect Handbook. I'm not sure who that would have been, (laughs) and we didn't really want to find out, so we did decide to just limit it to those 902 players, which was the top 30 for every organization, plus... Uh, the two Cuban defectors who weren't signed in time it, by the time the book went to press. I was not the person to ask that
0: question, but if that rule had not been in place, I probably would have taken you Darvish in the 30th round. Yeah, I think that, that would have been that, a nice, uh, a nice flyer.
1: Yeah, I mean that would have been such a slippery slope to get on. I mean, you could have, I guess, you know, conceivably then started drafting college and high school players. Bryce Harper so goes in the 25th round. You know, best whatever. to create a, a more definite player pool. And it, this discussion started when uh, Jim Callis and I were at dinner one night when we were working on the prospect handbook back in December. Uh, and we uh, you know, we were plowing through some bad organization, uh, lamenting how bad the players on that top 30 were. And we just sort of started the discussion of who would the last player picked if you drafted all 900 players in the prospect handbook? Who would the last selection be? So, originally, Jim thought it would be a great idea to actually draft all 900 players in the book, which, you know, in theory might sound like something only, you would do, but in practice, is nothing... The only problem even a Baseball America a, staff wouldn't want to do that, I don't think. We
0: do have a magazine to still put out,
1: because that would have right. been like
0: a four-day draft.
1: Right. And in the middle, the middle rounds of that draft, I just can't imagine how you would differentiate one player between another. But, anyway, we probably could do that if we really wanted to but we decided to just have each staff member draft his own top 30 and with 11 staff members that meant we would go 330 players deep which sort of worked on our original intent which was to go deeper than the top 100 and sort of to show s- show how the the player pool separates itself when you go beyond the top 100 because the guys in the top 100 at the back of the list, you know, those guys might have a few question marks. But for the most part, those guys are, are the premium guys. And when you go 330 deep, you really start to to see differentiations between players and between organizations.
0: Oh, and, and I thought it was very useful from the standpoint of just kind of even refining a little bit which guys, when I was drafting, which guys I like and which guys I don't. Yeah. But more than that, almost like profiles, the guy that always just jumped out to me was is that we kept going round after round. And the Rockies' number four prospect, Will and Rosario, mm-hmm. was out there when there were not a whole lot of number four prospects in organizations right. sitting out there. But Rosario's profile is as a solid defensive catcher who's the bat's a little bit of questionable. Well, I kind of looking at, it, I was realizing, yeah, that's not
1: a profile that really much of anybody is going to go out there and take you know in your top two hundred players. Yeah, I really it? do think the draft might end up affecting the way we rank prospects in the future because it's a little bit different to rank a guy based on his tools in a list, and then this made you actually sort of do I put want him? a dollar sign on the muzzle yeah. almost. Like, do I want him? Okay, it's fine to talk about the tools and what might happen for this guy, but do you? Re- if you really think it's going to happen, you'll draft the guy. And for a lot of guys who were pretty highly ranked, uh, Daryl Jones was the guy I was thinking about. Uh, the Cardinals' number four guy who didn't get drafted at all. A guy who has obvious physical tools, but a lot of question marks. And, you know, it just never came to the point, I guess, where anybody thought he was worth investing a pick in, even very deep in the draft.
0: And, and kind of with him, I think the question became, it's like, so what's the best-case scenario? Right.
1: Here? Do you? Th- I, I mean, to me it was kind of like, do you think this guy is ever going to hit enough to be a big leaguer? And obviously the question was answered by Eleven people on our staff is no—at least, not more than 330 other players it, in the prospect handbook. It also
0: was good from the standpoint of showing. I mean, and we knew this going in, but like the Astros top 30 is pretty fascinating from the standpoint of you have three guys mm-hmm. who it's like, hey, I like those guys, and then the best way to describe it is it's a cliff. I mean, right. So what happened in the dream draft was you had three Astros guys go
1: relatively quickly. You know Jason Castro, I think went you know was I took him in the third round, I think I'll have to look at my list, yeah, third round, you
0: know Giovanni Meyer, you know you were not too far after that, uh Jordan Lyles went you know not he didn't take too long after that, and then it stopped
1: right. I took ross, uh, I don't know why I took two Astros, but I did I took Ross Seaton in the twenty second round, and that's he's, the only he's other their number five guy and then he was the only there were four Astros picked in the draft. Their number four guy, um, Sammy Gravasio, was not drafted either. Those were the only, he and Jones were the only two number four guys who weren't picked. And But it really did kind of, when you're talking about ranking the organizations,
0: the the Astros, you know, we got, we're getting ready to do our updated organizational talent rankings, and I think there's a pretty good chance the Astros will not be number 30. But at the same time, the Astros had four players drafted, and I think the next fewest was eight players?
1: Right. The Yankees, Cardinals, and Nationals all had eight players drafted. So we're talking a pretty distinct difference there of, of how many prospects. Yeah, you know. I think that's notable. Um, And another good point you made as we were going through the players drafted by organization is that that's not necessarily the truest indication of an organization's strength either because you look at the teams that had 12 people drafted, Royals, Dodgers, A's, Phillies, Rangers, and Blue Jays. I don't think you'd say those organizations were all on the exact same footing no. uh, from a talent standpoint. Because the Blue Jays had a lot of guys taken late, and then a team like the Royals
0: had uh, a lot of guys taken, I think, seven guys taken pretty quickly. are the Rangers.
1: I yeah, mean the Rangers. are one of yeah, the two yeah. or three best farm systems in the game right now, and... You know, for them to be on the, in the same list as some of those other organizations is a little bit misleading. But if also if you go to uh, to look at uh, Will's column
0: on the site, which is up on the site now, he kind of we we tried to break that down in a couple of different ways. Which was one of them was, hey, let's just give a you know a point value. The number one pick is worth three hundred and thirty points, yeah. and the and the last player picked is worth one. Right. And it's not the ideal. You know, it's not a perfect. It's a kind of rough you know estimate because. Obviously, you'd rather have. I, I think you probably would rather have
1: Is Jason, Jason Hayward, Hayward than three hundred and thirty times more valuable than CJ Rutherford. i think so, might. Yes. Yes, I think actually more than that. I, I think
0: yeah. I think you, if you had three hundred and forty CJ Rutherford's, you would not be able to get Jason Hayward for those. <laughs> but um, you also wouldn't have room to play three hundred and forty CJ Rutherford's. But but it does. It did was well, a useful way of kind of looking at it and saying, okay, so how much you know value did we put on these? organizations as we went through the draft. Did did was there any like profiles that jumped out to you or is there anything that really kind of stuck out to you of
1: you know, there's obviously different philosophies that different people had, I thought, mm-hmm. as we went in the draft too, which was interesting. Yeah. Um there wasn't anything that really shocked me. I think most of the guys you know, drafted sort of what you would expect to be a BA staffer to draft. Uh, ben Badler liked reaching deep for some of his uh, favorites, which you know, and he, and he and he knows more about the you know the Latin American
0: prospects right. than anyone in the, in the office. So he had a lot of Latin American players, that, you know, especially
1: in the later rounds. He was going to take those. Right. So he reached deep for some of those guys. Aaron Fitt went after mostly college guys, which makes sense because those are the players he knows. So, um, again, I just thought it was interesting that you actually you know actually having to put your name beside a pick makes it a little bit different than just ranking a guy from, you know, one through ten. So I just think it was a good exercise. Um,
0: I think, I, I hope we do it again because I do think it's, yeah. even if we, you know, don't have it as a running regular
1: feature, I, I think it also is
0: useful for when we do the talent rankings and, and all. And it was
1: also nice that we had an actual professional scout who looked over all the lists and, you know, went over them pretty thoroughly, I thought, and ranked, uh you know, ranked our rankings basically from one to eleven. I uh, think he had your draft. What well, did he have? Your draft rank? I, I got to be number one. Yeah. I, I that was a nice surprise. I did not expect. And people that. can go to the site and look over everybody's draft and uh, you know vote in our in a reader poll to see who you like the best. If you go um, to our site, um, I'll put it back up on the front as a quick hit as I post this so that people can find
0: it. But also, if you go to our prospects page, we have the the links to the entire Dream Draft is up on on BaseballAmerica.com slash today slash prospects and you can vote you can take a look at all the teams we've got them from pick one to 330 we've got them broken up by team and we also have the first five rounds with a little skinny Mm -hmm. on you know and and also broken out by the numbers as far as how many players each organization had and also we got will lingo's column on this which takes a little further and says okay you know here let's look at Kind of what the talent rankings of this draft almost kind of break out as
1: right using the using that uh, weighted number system uh, we we ran the numbers on both the prospect draft and the top 100 to see sort of which organizations had the most premium talent uh, I guess it, it's not a surprise that the debate for the first pick came down to Hayward and Strasburg uh, and Hayward won that one just like he ended up number one in the top 100. Um but it's in, I just thought it was interesting how, after say the first five to ten picks, things really start to diverge as far as oh yeah, people's philosophy of of what kind of players they wanted and 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 it does not i mean, if you look at our our
0: draft, it does not match up. It's interesting. We did this right before we
1: mm-hmm. finalized
0: the top hundred prospects list, and there's definitely disagre- you know there are disagreements
1: in as far as how people drafted compared to the top 100. Well, some that's one of the reasons I like our top 100, because it is such a collaborative right. effort. And there's not, I don't want to say the agenda of one person, but, you know, when you're doing a list by yourself in a vacuum, you your, have your, your, your biases favorites, are going to be part your, of it, just because that's that's how you do your and own you have,
0: personal list. you have your almost your profiles. Right. Like you know with John, you know, John has... His belief in the fastball and all, and you're going to see that in his rankings of pitchers.
1: So I like the fact that our top 100 is more of a collaborative effort, and you do have sort of a regression to the mean. And wisdom of the crowds also. Right. And even before that, you're starting from sort of a a framework of we've already ranked all these guys in a 1 through 10 list
0: while we don't always yeah.
1: while we don't always stick to that exactly in the top 100 because again personal biases come into how people vote that does sort of give you a framework to start working from and you know you assume that the person who did the royals top 10 list put a lot of work into it and you know if they ranked guys in a certain way then you know we do try well, to try to stick to that in general, the, although the, we don't know. The best always. way is to put it is is that if you're gonna rank them differently, usually it's
0: like you almost kind of like so explain your thinking you, you don't you usually will end up talking about it with the person who ranked right. that explain your thinking on this. You know, like speaking of the Royals, the Royals top
1: hundred list does not exactly match up with how I ranked them doing the Royals top thirty. Right, and there was but, a lot of debate about that on the website um, because Will Myers ended up not making, making the top 100, while Mike Moustakas did, you obviously ranked them differently right, in the top that, 10 list. So that was debated on the website. it's debated in the office. There is not an answer to that question. Right. We won't find out whether Mustakas or Myers an is better until they play for a few more There years. is an
0: answer. Unfortunately, we'll know that answer in 2020. And right. So that's a little tough, to, or 2025. And so it's a little tough to to say it right now. So,
1: you know, we have our prediction for what we say right now. So, I mean, and that's. And so in the prospect draft, obviously, you know, we say going into any draft, it only takes one team. So Mike Leak, not the 34th prospect on our top 100, but because Connor Glassy believes strongly in Mike Leak, he was the 34th pick in the prospect draft.
0: Right. To me, what really jumps out more than anything is if a prospect, like Daryl Jones, when a prospect gets passed over round after round by 11 Different people. That to me, there's almost like more meaning in that yeah. than there is on the hand. Because you know, like I said, it only takes one to draft someone, but if someone's not drafted, it takes eleven people. And trust me, it wasn't something where we were looking at it and going, "Oh, Sammy, Gerv- you know, Sam Gervasio is, you know, no." Everyone forgot that he was on the board. Everyone knew he was there. In fact, the comment came up, "It's like, wow, is another astro going to be taken?" Mm-hmm. And everyone's going, "No, I'd rather have this
1: guy. No, yeah. I'd rather have this guy." And like. Like in any fantasy draft that you're in, once you get past the first five to ten rounds when there's a pretty tight list of every, you know players everybody's looking at, after that point you start looking at guys where you like the profile or there's something about about their tools that you like. So it does start to get to where the list, the rankings in an organization don't matter quite as much. Well,
0: like I knew going in that with pitchers that – there's two things I was going to try to draft. I was going to try to draft bats first, and like I'd worry about the position or their defense. You know,
1: not that I didn't want
0: defense. But no, I
1: definitely felt that way too because if the bat doesn't play, you're nothing not going to be a really
0: you're Normally, or you're going to be a utility infielder. Right. And the other thing is, is I wanted pitchers who had fastball velocity combined with. Some control Not Mm -hmm. necessarily command Because I don't think I think a lot of times A minor leaguer with control Develops command down the road Very few minor leaguers have command Mm -hmm. But if you had that And especially if you had that In the second pitch I didn't need a third But if you had that in the second pitch I wanted you on my team And that was almost kind of Pitchers as I I was drafting Trying to draft guys With above average fastballs As as much as possible
1: Yeah I felt like I ended up with players Who were all about And not enough Anything else when I oh, look I, back I'm on my draft. Um, Chris Carter, obviously, if he doesn't hit a lot, he's going to have almost no value as a big leaguer. Jason Castro, I think he most people think he's going to be sort of a he solid all-around level. guy, but I, th- I think if he develops power, he's going to be better than, than people expect him to be. And Tyler Flowers, nobody expects him to be a gold glove catcher. So, again, the value is all in the bat. Yeah, I've got so. Jesus Montero. I'm right there with you. <laughs> so, in retrospect, I'm... I'm not sure how I ended up with all three of those guys, and I'm not sure how I ended up with so many White Sox either. But you know, those things just happen in drafts sometimes. I have Jesus Montero, Max Ramirez, and Matt Gamel. Between the three of them, you probably <laughs> want to DH all three. So, so yes, we 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 went very heavily for bats in our <laughs> personal drafts.
0: Um, but we also did want to answer some uh, some questions today on the uh, from the DeMarini inbox. Got a couple questions here. We got one from Nick S. from and I hope I pronounced this right, but Shannon, Illinois? Shannon? Will's going to look at it, too. It's, uh, I'm not from Illinois, clearly. Wow. Shanahan? Shanahan. Sure. But, And he has a very interesting question. He said, which particular skills are most important to you when grading, pitching, and hitting prospects? If you could only choose two factors for pitchers and two for hitters, such as velocity control strikeouts, batting average, double speed, etc. what two skill factors would you choose for each?
1: Well, I think we sort of answered that, or at least started to answer that already. I think for both of us, the bat is... But Doug, let's go. Is, let's go further than that, okay, with the bat. Like,
0: not even talking about the five tools, because yes, you have to have to meet, you know. But as far as a hitter, if you could give them two attributes...
1: The ability to control the strike zone, I think, if you wanted to put a finer point on it, would probably be most important. And, you know, if you wanted to go in a little bit different direction, I think athleticism is really important, especially for when you're looking at prospects, young guys. I think athleticism just gives you a lot more options as your career develops. When you start off like some of the guys we were talking about earlier and you're not athletic and your value lies completely in your ability to hit a lot, it just gives you fewer options to, to explore as your career develops.
0: I, I, I thought about this question and – I'll come up – the two I've come up with is okay, – I'm going to go on two hitting attributes. One you talked about, the batting eye, having that ability to know strikes, you know, picking out, okay, breaking ball in the dirt, you know, don't swing at it. And the other is, is quick hands. Mm-hmm. If, I, if you have those two things, you know, I, the swing plane and all, you want to have – you know, but if you only have two, if you have quick hands and the ability to recognize pitches, recognize what to swing at, what to not, get yourself in good counts – you can go a long way with that, I think, as a hitter. Yeah, because the quick hands also play into that because it means you can wait longer before, you know. And you're always, if you have quick hands, generally you're going to have some power too because it that's, you know, where I'll, you've got to have weight transfer and all that also, but the quick hands is the key building block of, of hitting both for average and power.
1: And it seems like what we've learned over the years is that maybe uh throwing arm would be the least important tool, oh, yes. just as, especially if that's your carrying tool. You don't... You know, I think back to Alex Ochoa when he was coming Man, through. Man, he's a, got a great arm. A prospect. I mean, that was that was sort of his showcase tool and that ended up not
0: <laughs> not really being help. that yeah.
1: important as oh. as far as major league I success mean, goes.
0: The reality is, is
1: you're not even going to be carrying they're not going to carry you on a big league roster
0: as a defensive replacement as a great throwing arm no. outfielder. Now, if you're a, you know, good glove shortstop, you can have a role, but no. Yeah. Um pitching-wise, I mean, I think we talked about, like, to me, fastball, you know, velocity. If you have velocity and control, I, again, command yeah. seems like asking too much when you're talking about scouting someone who's developed Some
1: variation of the whole concept of command and control. You might not expect a guy in the minor leagues to be able to put it exactly where he wants it, but you want him to at least show the aptitude he's for the doing that he's eventually. Not, yeah, he's, he's not. Um, yeah, it's never going to be the same for all good pitchers, but you want him to at least... Have a degree of that, right? It's it's you. You want them at least throwing strikes, but really more than that, you do want them to. It's like you're, they're throwing to a quadrant. Right? Right. They're throwing. Okay, I
0: they want, know how to
1: work both sides of the plate. They know generally where they want to put the ball and why.
0: And if you have those two things, I mean, you you know, yes, as a starter, you normally, especially as a right hander, you need a second pitch. You you know all those things, but if you have
1: fastball velocity and command, you will have a big league a big league career. Those are sort of sine qua non things, right? Isn't that the uh, Latin term for not without which? Right. Like, you can, it's nice to have other things, but if you don't have some of these bedrock things we're talking about, it's really it's very much difficult. more difficult to succeed.
0: And if you and I would really argue you, you cannot, you can't have, if you have zero of those two, you cannot succeed. Yeah. There is no such thing as a successful big leaguer without velocity or command. Because, Every one of the guys who has below average fastball has command. You can't, you don't succeed on. Well, he's wild all over the plate. But and a below average major league fastball is still it's hard to pretty good, yeah. And but so that's one. We got a uh, a couple more here on the we you know post on the Facebook also that we you know hey ask your questions and we so we got a couple on there and. I'll go with one is, is is this the year Diolis Guerra finally puts it all together and makes the Johan Santana deal less painful for Twins fans? (laughs) Well, Matt Juba, I I, I hate to say it, but I don't think so.
1: I I think the Twins have done a good job of putting that deal, or putting the Johan Santana era behind them. They've moved on and they've continued to be a contending team. But that trade in a vacuum... Has, didn't work out very well. There's, no, I, and and it's
0: not going to turn around. I mean, there's not. No. There's. Yelichera
1: might be a major league contributor, eventually, but he's never going to be a significant guy. I don't think.
0: And it's funny, but the thing that stands out to me, kind of tying that into to this year as well, if you look at the holiday trade, I give you know the Blue Jays some credit because that was a a similar type of situation. Mm-hmm. to what the Santana situation was, and I think they got a lot more. I, I mean, obviously, yes, we're now looking in hindsight on the Santana trade, but even at the time with the Santana trade, it wasn't something
1: where you said, well, that's, you know, they got yeah, a good... there was nothing it was... that immediately made you think they got something they could build around. Y- your Your best hope out of that was,
0: hey, they've got four guys who all have a chance to be big leaguers, and in a perfect situation... Guerra and Gomez were the two best ones, mm-hmm. but neither of those, I mean, both of those were risky acquisitions. In the case for the Blue Jays, I think there's, I think it's much safer to say that, you know, yes, you're going to have several big leaguers out of that, but you do have guys who have a chance to, you know, to be significant big leaguers.
1: Yeah, and I think just looking at where we ranked the Blue Jays in our org rankings in the handbook, they were... Toward the bottom, I don't they, remember they, they exactly they were. Well where, deservedly, toward the but bottom, they were in the bottom three or four teams, and when our rankings come out in our minor league preview, which are our quote unquote official rankings, uh, they'll be a lot higher than that. So I think that will reflect sort of how much talent we think they they brought in just in that deal.
0: Right. I mean, well, in the two deals, I guess you have to say yes yeah,
1: because it was that's it's
0: true. technically uh, they, they. I trade. think of
1: it as one giant amalgamation, but it really was two deals.
0: But. Well we again we uh we appreciate the download, and we will coming ahead, we've got the major league preview we just put to bed, you know in magazine terms, yeah, yesterday. I think
1: I think people will see a lot of interesting uh features come out of that one we've already posted online just because it had a lot of interesting information we wanted to go ahead and get it out there, and that was on revenue sharing uh not only revealed what baseball's revenues were last year and how much money was shared between teams but also just really explained what revenue sharing is and what the luxury tax is and that they're not the same thing. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there that where people think of, oh, the luxury tax as
0: that's the key way that money is shared in Major League Baseball, and it's not. And it's really not. The key way it's shared is is that everyone takes 31% of their local revenue, puts it in a pot, and then MLB divides it. And that is, you know, way more money than whatever the Yankees which are usually the only team who's paying the luxury tax what the Yankees are putting into the luxury tax right most of that money goes to player benefits so which was an interesting you can see how that that worked out in the CBA last time that was pretty smart And stuff.
1: then each team got about $30 million last year from uh, common MLB Advanced Media MLB Network money you know just produced I guess by the common good Um, So that's an interesting story by Mari Brown, who runs the Biz of Baseball um, blog and obviously has his finger on the pulse of a lot of business aspects of sports Um, and a lot of other features, too, which I'm sure we'll get into in future podcasts. But, so thanks again for the download, and we'll be back on Monday
0: with, uh, well, we have two podcasts going up as we put this one up. We also have our, our weekly high school podcast interview with the top high school prospect. And then Monday, Aaron Fit, and John Mann will be back with the, uh, the, the post top 25 rankings, uh, wrap up. And again, thanks you for the download, and when it comes to buying a baseball bat, DeMarini Marini just changed the game. Introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini Marini before you buy because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free. So get the season started right. Visit your nearest demo house today. Locations and full details can be found at demarini.com backslash demo house. Thanks for the download. For Will Lingo, I'm JJ Cooper, and we'll see you next week.